What is up, fantasy people? You are back with the True North Fantasy Pod presented by Monkey Knife Fight. We are also, of course, a part of the Fantasy Points Media Group. And with our promo code 21TrueNorth10, you can get 10% off at fantasypoints.com for all of their elite analysis, resource, and tools. And it will help you score more. I am Trav, coming live from beautiful Victoria, British Columbia, Canada, and co-hosting and West Coasting, as always, Tyrell McLaughlin. How are you doing on this very, very hot Wednesday evening? Yeah, the the heat is real. You saw my uh, my Ray Bans. My you put these in the freezer and then uh, yeah. keep yourself cool. <laughs> I had them on off camera and you convinced me. But the truth is, Trav, these things are they have some serious first half, second half splits. So I'm gonna take them off because they'll just be running down my face like ten minutes in here. I think. Uh, yeah. But if you know we needed to summon energy, there we I think we have uh, a perfect guest that you know musters up that that energy that oh, we yeah. need tonight. No doubt about it. Yeah, yeah, man. Running back week is rolling on for the True North Fantasy Pod, as we've been saying this week and this week, Ty. We have basically the most accurate running back ranker in the entire fantasy football world. Uh, his name, of course, is Jared Smola from Draft Sharks. You can find him on Twitter at SmolaDS. Jared, thank you for joining us tonight and very happy to have you on here for Running Back Week. Yeah, pumped to be, to be on, guys. Um, dealing with heat here in uh, Western New York. We're up into like the 90s, so that sucks. But you know, otherwise, great, great time of year, man. Training camps rolling. We got preseason action tomorrow. Um, you know, I'm in like eight slow drafts at any one time for the next like three weeks. So it's it's, it's great. No, make and make sure everyone's following the uh, the draft sharks invitational. It's one of those drafts that you can just observe how uh, a litany of superstar analysts are drafting. Even some of the best fantasy gamers on the planet are in that tournament. So it's one of those ones that's better than a mock draft is just to literally look at a draft like that. Uh, you might have a better idea of where you should be taking players in your home drafts because it is that time of the year. There's no doubt with uh, the folks flocking back to to fantasy and our home leagues are really just right around the corner. And that's why, yeah, like I am so excited for our listeners. Jared ranked second in the fantasy draft accuracy last year. And Mr. Smoley ranked, what, top 20 in the fantasy pros accuracy competition in back-to-back-to-back seasons now. Uh, And that's for in-season. So I just think this is another guest that is a must when it comes to Twitter lists, when it comes to start-sit decisions, waiver wires, uh, just somebody you want to be tethered to. you know, I, I just think, he was, and like you mentioned, Trav, just the most accurate at the running back position. And I know we're focusing so much on it, but that's because the other positions are pretty easy, man. The, the The market is pretty smart on tight ends this year. The wide receiver position is easy. We we always know what's up there. And I just think running backs are extremely difficult. And it's just so exciting to put some of our takes to the test and really, really pin down the position tonight. Yeah, it's going to be a lot of fun, Ty. It's going to be a lot of fun. We're going to get into some of these running back ranks. Uh, last week, we had Justin Boone on to talk wide receiver ranks. Jared, I know you were on Justin's show, I believe, just last week. I think it might have been the day that we had Justin on. Yeah, unintentional, in too. Like, you know, go yeah. figure that people are trying to find the most accurate analysts in the business. And uh, these are two guys who, you know, year after year, you know, John Paulson, Jake Seeley, uh, Pat Fitzmorris. There, there's a, a collection of guys that are must follows when it comes to accuracy and uh sometimes that gets lost on this industry i think it's a very saturated place obviously so we like to try and bring on the most accurate people and uh mr jared smola is certainly in that discussion no doubt about it actually i wouldn't mind jared since we're talking about running backs and everything one of the worst kept secrets something we've talked a lot about is the running back dead zone over the last couple of years Um, And a lot of that, what's built in is targeting running backs at the top of your draft, whether you want to call it modified zero RB or whatever. So is that how you are approaching drafts, even heading into 2021? Are you starting your drafts heavy running back? You know, the caveats are it always depends uh, on your league type, you know, whether it's full PPR, half PPR, how many teams. It depends where you're drafting in the first round too. you know, how that's going to play out and who's available to you. I do generally like starting with at least one running back, I feel good about getting nice volume. And, and that when it comes to running backs, especially I care about volumes, like 90% of my evaluation. I'm just trying to get guys who are going to get touches, you know, touches and fantasy points correlate so strongly at running back. That that's what I care about. So yeah, I am trying to get those workhorse backs early on. You know, there's like 11 to 12 guys I feel super good about. So I'm basically trying to get, you know, one or two of those early if I can. 
Yeah, and, and we were talking off air about some of the amazing guests, like a B-Bag Batoba and some of these people that you've had on. J.J. Zacharyson was a recent guest, you know, kind of a mix of one of the best fantasy players on the planet and one of the best at, you know, delivering process and articulating how to attack an offseason in J.J. Zacharyson. Um, and you say volume is the most important thing, but I think an important conversation uh, that's crept up in the last half decade or so is the type of volume. So how much do you find yourself gravitating to pass catchers and how important, like what kind of importance do you place on that when you're, when you're looking at the top of the draft? Oh, it's huge. I, I think, uh, you know, a running back target has been worth like three times as much as an average running back carry in PPR leagues, you know, over the last few seasons. Um, so targets are obviously huge. And even with carries, you know, where are those carries coming? You know, who's getting those carries inside the 10 yard line? Who's getting those carries inside the five yard line? Those are worth so much more than, you know, your carries from the 50 yard line. So yeah, it's, it's not as easy as just saying, you know, these guys are going to get the most carries plus targets. That's what I want, you know, type of volume matters. And then, you know, quality of volume, you know, the, the supporting cast does still matter for these running backs as well. That that's all stuff that factors into the equation. Yeah, I like that. And speaking of type of volume, guys, I'm not going to waste any more time getting into these players because I'm really excited to talk about some of these. And the first couple are at the top of our rankings and generally our draft boards as well. And the first one we're going to get to is Zeke down in Dallas. Of course, Ezekiel Elliott is coming off a season where he lacked some efficiency. Obviously, Dak went down and that hurt the offense as a whole. Um, but I love seeing on the Draft Shark site there, Jared, that you guys have Zeke at running back four right now. Um, I want to talk about his avenue to reach top five heights once again. Like, do you think it's as simple as him getting more passing work with Dak back, or do you think he's set for maybe a bump in efficiency as well? I think efficiency is the big thing because, as you said, that's what suffered last year, and I think it suffered because because of the Dak injury because of all the yeah. offensive line injuries they had, you know, that went from like a top yeah. five O line to a middle of the pack, maybe even below average offensive line. The, the volume was still there for Zeke, at least before he started dealing with some of the hamstring and calf injuries over the second half of the season. But he averaged uh, 16 and a half carries and 5.8 targets through week eight, you know, b- mm-hmm. before those injuries started to hit. So, you know, basically I think he's going to get that type of volume again this season. And I just think Dallas's offense is going to be that much better hopefully you know with better health you know you know of course Dak's already dealing with the injury now but you know all signs point to him being ready for week one so I just think Zeke's going to be a workhorse back on a top five offense in the NFL and you know that that's that's going to be enough to make him a top three four running back yeah he's gonna he's gonna benefit huge from the passing volume and the fact that like with all these receivers and Dak, defenses are not going to be able to stack that box against him at all. Um, so, yeah, I think that rushing efficiency, given health from the offensive line and um, and the targets, man. The targets, I think he had a 90-plus target season a couple years ago, and he just popped off that year. He's very, very good in the passing game, so I'm pretty excited to see that. Um, Dak, what do you, or Ty, what are you thinking about Zeke and his uh, potential for a bit of a bounce back this season? Yo, Ty. Yeah. I definitely think uh, Zeke is primed. Like it, the offensive line bounce back, I think is definitely undervalued right now. I think the it's a big year for Zeke, right? There's no doubt about it from a dynasty perspective. Cause I think Smola covered it from a redraft perspective perfectly. Don't fade Zeke as a top five running back. And I find myself really passing on guys like Jonathan Taylor and others to draft Zeke unequivocally. And I have been for about a month or two now. Uh, but from a dynasty perspective, there's no doubt that I want to see some of the yards after contact, some of the broken tackle stats and some of the metrics like the 100 yard games. I need to see that improve uh, because he might not have any excuses left this season. But I definitely think the floor is what was kind of uh, gone from Zeke last year, which was just shocking to see. Uh, and that, you know, Ezekiel Elliott being the safest running back in fantasy football that could, you know, return to uh, a statement that, that we feel comfortable saying, I think, in 2021. Yeah. Yeah, it's going to be a big year, um, and that doesn't even hurt me very much to say as an Eagles fan because I'm also an Ohio State Buckeyes fan, and uh, I've been loving some for quite a while. Um, The next guy gets a lot different volume, and his offense is not coming back to a good place. His offense is almost falling apart. Um, Tons of uncertainty in New Orleans and surrounding Alvin Kamara. He is actually just ahead of Zeke as the running back three on the draft shark site right now, Jared. And I think that's, that's wicked because I think the general consensus might be a little bit of a fade on him with the uncertainty. Mm -hmm. Um, But uh, 
like with that ranking, I think for me, a lot of it hinges on the quarterback that plays. Um, would you say that ranking at three would be hinging on a certain one of them playing, or is that maybe regardless of who starts at the quarterback position? Yeah, I'm still projecting Jameis Winston to start week one and start the majority of the games for the Saints this season. Now, I, I feel less confident about that now than I did like a month ago. You know, it's, it oh, yeah. seems like Hill and Winston have played, you know, to a draw so far in camp. You know, so, you know, mm-hmm. maybe what happens over the next few weeks is going to determine that. I, I also do kind of buy Michael Thomas being out. That might push the Saints towards Taysom Hill. Cause I mean, mm-hmm. that's, that's a weak group of pass catchers now. So they might just kind of lean on more of that, you know, run heavy offense with Taysom Hill. And if, if Hill is named the starter, Kamara is going to drop down our rankings. Not, not a ton. He, he would drop beneath Zeke though. Mm-hmm. Um, you know, Kamara actually was fourth in our rankings before the Michael Thomas news. When we got that Thomas news, Kamara actually climbed above Zeke. We, you know, we just gave him, uh, you know, another 10, 15 targets. I think it was, you know, Kamara in the eight games Thomas missed last season, Kamara averaged 8.6 targets per game. I mean, that, that's just massive. That's huge. Now, you know, th- th- that, that's with wow. Drew Brees. That's a Drew Brees with quarterback for most of that. So I, I'm not, you know, I'm, I don't think he's going to get eight, nine targets per game this year with Thomas out, but I do think he's going to get, you know, five, six, seven, which is still awesome in your, you know, full PPR leagues. Yeah. Add in those 10 to 15 super efficient carries, a little bit of red zone work, and we're definitely still talking about a running back one. Um, I've actually been leaning more towards Taysom starting Sim- like before that I was thinking before the Michael Thomas injury, sorry, I was thinking he would probably start just for the fact that last year it kind of worked and got them wins. And mm-hmm. I figured maybe Sean Payton might go that route with the familiarity. And we were aching for Jameis to get in last season, but unfortunately that never happened. And I still ache for it, but I'm a little bit more pessimistic that we're going to see it. Um, and I do think that that could be, um, okay for Kamara. One person I think that that does benefit, and Ty, you've been talking this guy up in best ball drafts for a little bit, is Latavius Murray. So I, I wonder, Jared, what do you think about Latavius's involvement? Um, would you agree that maybe Taysom being in there is better for him than Jameis, or do you think Latavius is going to be involved no matter what? He's going to be involved. I mean, you know, he's sort of that like eight to 10 carry per game guy, a, a few targets. Um, he, he's always like kind of straddling that line between like handcuff and standalone fantasy options. Yeah, man. You never totally feel good using him in you know starting lineups when Kamara's healthy. But man, when, when Kamara goes down, we saw what two years ago. I think Latavius was like a top three running back like both yeah. weeks. Kamara missed. Even last year, yeah. getting all the targets when uh, Kamara was out that one game. Yeah, it was insane. Yes, yeah, exactly. You're right. Um, so at minimum, you have that. Um, and then yeah, maybe he does pick up a few extra touches if it's Taysom Hill. So yeah, I I like Murray where he's going in drafts. You know, he's generally going outside like the top forty running backs. In drafts, and I think for the handcuff value alone, he's worth it there. And then if you get anything down there, it's kind of just a bonus. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ty, why don't you talk about what you're seeing with Latavius in the backfield as well? Yeah, I mean, I'm just buying that situation. The only thing you guys really didn't point out that I would is that that offensive line is completely elite. I think it's yeah. you know arguably the best in football, and uh, they're all growing. Like I think I really like that offensive line, and it's uh, a team that I feel confident in being able to run the ball and. Uh, having incentive to do so as well. I mean, there's a scenario where that defense, you know, we know the the cap, you know, the day we never thought would come, it came for the Saints where that cap kind of hit him in the face finally. And maybe some defensive pieces were victim of that, but uh, I don't think it would be so much that the game scripts are flipping that much. I think my bigger concern for the pass catching with Alvin Kamara is that that offensive line is so good that they're setting up that play action and that deep, that deep passing or whatever to Traquan Smith or whoever. Um, with Marquez Callaway playing that that possession role and, and maybe yeah. Adam Troutman as well. Uh, so I, I think it could be really sped around, but I think Kamara is just so safe and he's obviously their best player on offense. I think the offense should run right. through him. Uh, and I think there's no other way to look at it than a guy who has immense upside. Yeah, and I, I think the last thing we haven't mentioned here is just Sean Payton. Yeah. And I, I just, I, I trust him and I trust him to build that offense as you were saying there build that offense around Kamara you know make him the focal point and get him his touches even if you know Taysom Hill isn't you know inclined to chuck down like Drew Brees yeah. has in the past I just think Peyton's going to design stuff to get the ball to Kamara in the passing game and, and there's mm-hmm. so much room for that to come down like you look at the Saints 30% market share to running backs for like a decade straight not to mention they scored the most fantasy points at the running back position even last year, and now they have a full off season to work with whoever is going to be at quarterback yeah. and make that uh, that marriage work. And I, I and like 
Jared pointed out, like Sean Payton's the guy we we expect mm-hmm. to make that work. And with running backs, like it seems like a perfect marriage. Big time. So I'm going to actually go, Trav, to another backfield, and maybe we should continue to split here, uh, split airs like we're kind of doing with Kamara and, uh, <laughs> and Zeke. But I want to go to Jonathan Taylor and this Colts backfield because I want to know, like fantasy gamers are kind of shifting their approach, I think, to this Indianapolis backfield all of a sudden with the Carson Wentz news. Uh, we've certainly had some issues all offseason, Trav. And then you look at the Draft Sharks rankings, and JT resides behind guys like Austin Eckler. Draft Sharks rankings, uh, not unlike Scott Barrett, have Joe Mixon over Jonathan Taylor and Nick Chubb ranked uh, just ahead of him as well. So, Jared, where do you stand on JT as a top 10 running back? And what do you think it is that is causing pause for thought? Yeah, as you said, you know, in our rankings, he's like borderline top 10. I think he's just outside of the top 10 right now. I mean, I mean, this is a, you know, th- this kind of changes every day with all the Carson Wentz news we're getting. Like now, now the latest report is that he's trending toward being ready for week one. Same goes for Quentin Nelson. Yeah, and, it, you yeah. know, th- those injuries are so huge for Taylor. One, from a rushing efficiency standpoint, obviously. But the, the bigger thing is, is he, he's going to be a game script dependent running back. You know, e- even over that hot stretch to close last season, it was the final six games of last season, including the playoffs that he got super hot. Even over that span though, you know, he only averaged 2.7 targets per game. He was still coming off the field in obvious passing situations for Naheem Hines and Taylor was better than most people expected. He'd be in the passing game last year in terms of efficiency and just raw production, but Naheem Hines was still better. Now, Pro Football Focus had Hines as the best pass-catching running back in the NFL last season. So I just think he's going to remain in that role. So that means when the Colts are, you know, playing from behind, Taylor's going to be coming off the field. So, you know, that, that's why he needs Wentz in there. He needs those, those O-linemen in there so that, you know, the Colts are playing even or with leads. Yeah, and I'm not, I'm not like a big stack box guy, but it, they need just guys. That are like, you need all cylinders firing from game planning to play calling. Like, everything needs to be firing on all cylinders uh, to avoid this being like a bottom five offense, absent good quarterback play, or even like, you know, average quarterback play. And I think that's my concern with, uh, with Jonathan Taylor. But I, I think that layer of frustration you added is, is the one that really bugs us where it's like kind of transparent. Uh, the super defined roles are just super frustrating, you know, being not in on the two minute drills and, uh, and passing downs and stuff. And like you mentioned, like he's so good in the passing game. It feels like a Josh Jacobs scenario emerging just because, <laughs> He was really outstanding in that facet of the game last year. And uh, like you look at the yards after the catch, it's just ridiculous. Like he averaged over nine yards after the catch per target last year for Jonathan Taylor, uh, which was just way better than, than Naheem Hines. I know Hines is running some more creative routes and blah, blah, blah. But, you know, uh, to bring it back to earth, I think the the pass catching is wishful thinking with Jonathan Taylor. As much as we might think he's good at it, uh, it just doesn't look like it. And I think there's an element where it was an outlier strength of schedule on the soft side last year, especially to finish the season, yes. uh, which gets a lot of publicity for sure. But it also changes pretty, uh, like it skews pretty heavily to the other side, especially early on in the season. And you worry if Wentz is rushed back, if some of these pieces aren't 100%. It's, it's a tough schedule to... Uh, to start out for the Colts, even including like a three game road trip weeks, three to six and stuff like that. So, you know, definitely some concerns there. Trav, do you find yourself drafting Naheem Hines very often though? Because, you know, we like Naheem Hines, blah, 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 but we're switching into redraft mode, not best ball. I definitely think he's a a best ball asset, but it's a lot different when you have to start or sit these guys. Yeah. I'm not getting a ton of Naheem Hines and I I just think it's just not where I've been looking in drafts. Like I'm not necessarily opposed to him because I do like the involvement. I was big on him the year before this one or last year, sorry. Um, But I do worry a little bit about it being a three headed monster. You guys mentioned that Naheem Hines and Stewart uh, were going to share a role, but we saw Jordan Wilkins getting 20 to 30 snap or percent snaps last year in certain games so i think it could be yeah exactly marlon matt coming back as well could be more involved like he's a super talented player um and so i think that coupled with um just some other options like i I might rather have james white than naheem hines right now especially for the fact of like maybe cam newton gets gets booted and mac jones comes in and james white can take up a big target share um but it really depends on the draft on where they're going in the draft there 
I'm not yeah, like, especially with those those pass catchers are just harder, yeah. I think, to stomach in uh, in a redraft league. Um, and just a quick shout out: the AFC breakdown uh, on Draft Sharks by Jared Smola, I think, is excellent. And yeah, there was a lot of good points brought up about Naeem Hines, but kind of on a similar, it felt like it was making a similar point. Like maybe you can draft Naeem Hines if you want, but this might be an avoid of a backfield. Uh, did mm-hmm. I get the tone right on that one, Jared? Yeah, I just in general, I don't take those like satellite pass catching backs and fantasy drafts so, and I get in, in basketball. They're okay because they're going to give you, you know, five to six usable weeks. It's just tough to know when those are going to come for lineup setting leagues. And I, I like someone like Naheem Hines, he, he just doesn't have RB one upside because even if Taylor goes down, like he's not going to become a, you know, 14, 15 carry guy. It's going to be Wilkins or Marlon Mack kind of taking over the JT role. And then Hines's role would just, would just kind of stay the same. So, I, you know, even with my late running back picks, I'm, I'm looking for guys who have upside to be, you know, at least like top 15 options if things break. Right. Absolutely. Um, so speaking of pass catching backs or hybrid style players or guys who we have to decide where, what side of the fence they land on Travis ATN is a, a polarizing pick in the NFL draft, kind of a polarizing pick in, uh, in fantasy drafts, all of a sudden, the hit rates for running backs in round one for fantasy uh, are kind of overwhelming. And I mentioned the pass catching, like that's the allure definitely with Travis ATN. The confusion or ambiguity kind of sets in when you think about Trevor Lawrence coming in, LaVisca Chenault ready to maybe take a step, DJ Chenard, uh, DJ Chark, final year of his rookie deal, Marvin Jones coming in. And there's there's even like a pretty crowded backfield here for this low win total team with James Robinson that had wild success as an undrafted free agent running back last year. Uh, Carlos Hyde was brought in. And the big question, the big bugaboo, I think, is ironically the mad scientist who drafted Travis Etienne in the first round who brought Hyde in and Tim Tebow. Um, first time NFL coach Urban Meyer, who, yeah, has shown a lot of success with players like Paris Campbell and Curtis Samuel, some butt slapping good times with Percy Harvin, <laughs> but also basically said, yeah, ATN's great, but man, Kadarius Tony would have been better. Um, so Jared, are you in on Travis ATN for fantasy? Does he profile as like a league winning type of running back or is he a, a running back dead zone avoid for you? Because yeah, it can't be anywhere I'm... in the middle. Can't be anywhere in the middle. <laughs> <laughs> Well, that's the thing. I think it's going to be either one way or the other. I'm not sure there's going to be much in between. And I'm glad we're talking about ETN because he's a guy I just keep going back and forth on. And I, you know, I truly believe that as as like a fifth round pick, which is where he goes, I he does have league winning potential because, like you said, he's a first round running back. Those guys generally get big workloads right out of the gate. I believe in ETN as a talent. You know, a four year producer at a big program like Clemson was was a great runner right out of the gate and then really improved as a pass catcher. And, you know, like last year he was excellent in the passing game. And I think that should translate. I, I just don't, I don't trust urban Meyer. Like you mentioned the Kadarius Tony thing, like that, that would have been a ridiculous pick. He, he's still, he's still giving Gardner Minshew first team reps <laughs> training camp yeah. right now. Like mm-hmm. that's such, such a waste. Like, yeah, you know, Lawrence yeah. is your guy, give him those reps. So th- that's my concern. I don't trust this coaching staff to do the right thing. And I think that's the risk with ETN. I wouldn't, I wouldn't be shocked if Robinson remains the, you know, clear lead ball carrier there and ETN's just kind of more of the, the change of pace pass catching guy. So if, if James Robinson's going a couple rounds later, are you interested in him in your redraft leagues or do you think he'll be a tough start as well? Like, do you think he'll come with some volatility because of the team? Yeah, I'm not super interested um, just because I do think ETN is pretty safe as the, you know, the lead pass catcher. And that, that's kind of what I want. I think it you know could be a lot of empty, tu- uh, empty touches for James Robinson. Totally. And I, I recommend uh, the Draft Sharks episode with JJ Zacharies. And I thought an awesome conversation that took place in that one was uh, you guys talked about, you know, JJ does really good work about rookie quarterbacks and how they've had a hard time supporting multiple pass catchers and stuff. And uh, it's hard to trust it's hard to pick between LaVisca and Chark and Marvin Jones, who might score a lot of the touchdowns. Um, but the play might be to fade all three now that I think of it and listen to that episode, to be completely honest. <laughs> okay, so we're going to go to a couple running backs that I've had a particularly hard time ranking here. Um, we are going to go to my Philadelphia Eagles, and we are going to talk a little bit of Miles Sanders and the running back room. Obviously, Boston Scott is still there. Jordan Howard is still there. Carryon Johnson was brought in, and Kenneth Gainwell, of course, was drafted by the Eagles. Um, it's a real mis- mishmash of profiles. They all kind of, or the prominent ones, seem to kind of compete with each other in my book. So, a really tough rank. I have him at uh, running back 18. 
Uh, Draft Sharks has Miles Sanders at running back 19. Ty, you actually have him at running back 20. Um, so we're all pretty in line there. But I think the range of outcomes is really, really wide for Miles Sanders. I think, you know, you could see a top 12 season potentially with Jalen Hurts at the helm, but you could also see him outside of the top 30. Um, so, Jared, I I'm curious just to start. What do you think this new look offense? Is this like a positive for the running backs in Philly and Miles Sanders especially? Or do you think Jalen Hurts and, and his rushing ability could be a hindrance for the production that we hope for. So I think generally the, you know, Hertz stepping in and the new coaching staff is, is a negative for Sanders. Um, and with the coaching staff, I mean, they, they, they've come out and said, this is going to be a committee attack. There was a quote from the Eagles running back coach in the spring that, you know, said, said it's going to be a committee. They want the early down guy. They want a pass catching specialist. They want a goal line guy. So, you know, that, that, that's not, what we want. And that, too, by the way, jibes with what we saw from uh, Nick Sirianni and Shane Steichen in their previous yeah. stops, you know, the Eagles' new uh, head coach and offensive coordinator. Sirianni was went with was in uh, Indianapolis where, you know, Naheem Hines, we just talked about him as kind of a pass-catching specialist. Uh, Steichen obviously had Eckler last year in that kind of role. So, um, I, I, you know, I, I think that either Scott or Gainwell is going to, you know, steal quite a bit of targets from Sanders and Sanders was horrible in the passing game last year. Now he was really good in the passing game as a, as a rookie. Yeah. Um, so I, I'm not sure what happened last year, but whatever happened, it sounds like it's carrying over into training camp. Cause there's been reports Lots that he drops a lot of passes. Yeah, exactly. So, um, I mean, to, to me, Sanders, Scott is, is glowing reports coming out of training camp. Yep. Mm -hmm. I, yeah. I've heard the same. Um, so to me, Sanders is more like a, like a floor play. So yeah. I, I do think he's at least safe as the lead ball carrier and he's going to get like, you know, 220, 240 carries. Um, so, you know, that kind of gives him like that lower end RB2 floor. Yeah. And then, you know, maybe if things break right, if he gets some touchdown luck, if he does pick up some extra targets, he can kind of return a profit. But for me, he's just kind of like, you know, maybe I'm in the fifth round. I need that RB2. I'll, I'll just take Miles Sanders as, you know, kind of a, a floor pick there. Yeah, I think it's kind of an interesting one to watch because Miles Sanders wouldn't necessarily profile as like your first and second down banger necessarily. Like he is, I think he does have some really good chops in the passing game. And so it was really kind of odd to me how they brought in pass catching type running backs as well in Philly. And I do kind of want to talk about some of those other options there as well, because um, Boston Scott, you you guys have him out at Draft Sharks at the highest of the running backs behind Miles Sanders. And I really like that because of what we've been seeing in camp. I think he had, I think Elliot Shore Parks put out a tweet the other day with um, kind of a chart of the first and second team reps for the Eagles. And Boston Scott, I believe, did have um, some pretty good usage in the passing game and with carries. Kenneth Gainwell had the most receptions with 20. Um, that was pretty notable for me. Um, and then Jordan Howard and carry on seemed to be competing for some, some rushing work is on the second team. They were just in line with each other for carries. So it seems like that's kind of the way that it's going there. Um, what do you like? Like, do you think Boston Scott will keep the job over Kenneth Gainwell? Or do you think that might just be kind of a camp slash early thing? Um, and, and do you think that guy offers much for fantasy for us to want him on our rosters? So I'm still holding out some hope for Gainwell, and I have yeah. read over the past like couple of days now that he's sort of coming on. Um, yeah. and, you know, it's still it's August 11th, like it's still a yeah, month exactly. till the season starts. We're going to get preseason games. So I think I think there's still a chance for Gainwell to you know pass Scott for that pass catching role, and I do think Gainwell would have more upside to me. Man, he, and I know he he dropped to the fifth round, which, which was surprising. I I liked him quite a bit mm -hmm. coming into the draft. You know, he had that pretty excellent you know 2019 season at memphis you know did a lot of like you know splitting out wide wide receiver type stuff which is exciting um so i do think he would have more upside if he captures that role um again i'm not super interested in drafting either of those guys just because you know they're they're, they're those uh, satellite pass catching type backs but gainwell is the guy where like if sanders went down and man if he took over like the, the lead ball carrying role and did some stuff in the passing game that that's where you could get you know again that top 15 type running back yeah, I was pretty stoked when Kenneth Gainwell came in over 200 pounds, actually, when one of those measurements were coming out, just for the like, just for the perception of him to be able to take a ball carrying role. You know what I mean? Um, Scott style. <laughs> yeah, exactly. And we exactly 200 pounders who nobody believes are 200 pounders. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. And uh, yeah, we know what those Memphis running backs can do, of course. Ty, where do you sit on the guys behind? Would you oh, would you take oh, any of them on a roster or what? 
Yeah, I'm definitely interested in both. I want Boston Scott and I want uh, I want uh, uh, Kenneth Gainwell. I think another interesting note is Antonio Gibson coming out of Memphis. You know, a lot of people had concerns about him viewing some of the prototypical running back things. And ironically, that's what he did best. We're just waiting on the pass catching for bell cow status uh, when it comes to Antonio Gibson at this point. Miles Sanders, I think, is the the loser here. Like, it's not just that they brought in a bunch of competition for touches. It's the type of touches that they're bringing in. Like, it's Gainwell does what we like Sanders exactly. to do, and Sanders is not performing. So it kind of reads – the tea leaves almost read like they don't trust Sanders to be that pass catching back. And we mentioned Sariani and Hines, and, you know, maybe they want this to be even just an extra defined role in this backfield that we have to account for. It's very possible that Boston Scott's – the short yardage guy and uh, maybe the third down back as well. Whereas Kenneth Gainwell is all over the formation, uh, hopefully. And uh, I just think there's a lot of ways they can use them, but this is all under the guise of a very low volume passing game and, uh, and, and, you know, an offense that will be structured in an RPO heavy fashion that, Mm -hmm. you know, hinders the running back market share overall. So there's just a lot of questions I'm asking. And the only positive is like, this is just another NFC East team that we hope has a big rebound on the offensive line, because I think that would go a really long way for a player like, you know, any running back coming out of Memphis, but definitely Kenneth Gainwell is a little smaller. And, uh, you know, Wes Huber did the thing about his chest width and everything, Trav. So there's a little bit of dimension concerns with Kenneth Gainwell. And if he could hold up under any workload between the tackles and stuff. So I think, just so much remains to be seen, but I'm definitely willing to take some shares of Boston Scott and Kenneth Gamewell because these are players you're going to drop early on in the season anyways, but have a lot of upside, especially if Miles Sanders misses time. Mm-hmm. And he yeah, that's a good time. point about that's but, a good point about uh, Jalen Hurts hurting the running back target share. You know, we see that all the time with those mobile passers. We also see the mobile passers usually help the running back efficiency on the ground. You know, so I think that that could help you know Miles Sanders yards per carry. Yeah, and just the the tight end market share bothers me too. Like if Ertz was gone, you know, there's there's a strong relationship. I'm not saying it's the like impossible but tight end and running back have a pretty strong relationship when it comes to team targets. And you know, we're trying to factor in Jalen Rager and uh, Devonte Smith as well, who I like. I like Devonte Smith at ADP right now, but uh, there's a lot of questions, and I think only a couple things can go right in Philly. And it's hard to kind of with a whole new regime coming in, but them having like a old you know a roster coming back. It's just a weird dynamic there. That uh, I don't think, you know, if they're a nine and a half win total team, it'd be a different story. They just ain't. Mm -hmm. Yeah, definitely. And mentioning Jalen Rager, Ty, just a quick note is that he's working a bunch out of the slot in camp. And we really like to see that. Yeah, he let, let that him... slip uh, like a month ago. That was so funny. He was like, yeah, dude, and saying he was working inside. And everyone's like, oh, Devonta yeah. Smith outside. And well, and I think he said it a couple days, a couple days ago again, too. And I like it because I think Devonta Smith has the height and length where he could operate outside where I question that a little on bit more left. with Rager. Yeah. He's just but, not an uh, ambi turner. So right. I think he'll be on the left side. Like, <laughs> an ambi turner. That <laughs> is amazing. <laughs> um, also not sure if the next guy is an ambi turner, but uh, definitely <laughs> something for us to keep an eye on. One of your former heartthrobs, Ty, that would be Zach Moss in Buffalo, which is, uh, I believe, the the fandom from where you are at in Rochester, New York, Jared. Um just just today, today I believe the Zach Moss news came out where he's being monitored as day-to-day with a hamstring injury. Um, unfortunately, the poor guy's had a ton of other injuries, mainly in the legs, a meniscus tear, turf toe. Uh, I think he had surgery to fix a high ankle sprain just this year as well. Um, personally, I'm not necessarily adjusting my ranks just yet. And I see on Draft Sharks, Jared, you guys have him at running back. 33 um are you concerned about zach moss and that injury history and can you elaborate on that to talk about where the upside does lie for him like do you see him getting some pass catching or some red zone work um where's he gonna get uh that production from in this backfield yeah definitely concerned about the hamstring haven't moved him down our rankings yet either Um, sort of usually wait for like a week for that type of thing if he's still out in a week then start to get more worried and we probably will bump him bump him down a little bit you know i He's not never a guy I'm excited to draft. I mean, I do still think it's going to be a committee. Singletary is not going away. I think Singletary is at least going to continue to probably lead that backfield in targets. And then, you know, it's obviously one of the pass heaviest offenses in the NFL. I expect that to continue. You have Josh Allen, who, you know, led the team in rushing touchdowns, led, led the team in uh, carries inside the five yard line. Mm-hmm. <laughs> that just takes away a lot of the touchdown upside for Moss. Now, now Moss did, you know, Allen had nine carries inside the five. Last year, Zach Moss had eight, and Singletary was down at three. So, you know, Moss still had his chances. He only scored 
on two of those eight carries inside the 10. Allen scored on seven of his nine. Now, I mean, wow. I, I, I think some of that is randomness. Like, I don't think Josh Allen is that much better at the goal line than Zach Moss. So that could swing back in his favor. And yeah, I, it wouldn't be shocking if Moss scored like eight touchdowns this year, just because that offense is so good. And if he's going to get, you know, half of the goal line carries and he could score eight times. So that that's kind of where the upside is with him. Um, but again, I don't think the volume is going to be huge. And, you know, especially in the passing game, I, I think Singletary probably continues to do most of that. Yeah, for sure. Ty, are, are you seeing any uptick for Zach Moss as well? Do you think like, what's your take on Singletary as well? Josh Allen obviously got that brand new contract, which has led some people to say that they're not going to let him run the ball as much. But I think if, uh, if it's working, you don't necessarily fix it. But I'm curious if you think we're going to see any shift in Buffalo. No, I think it is like a lot of tendencies coming together. Like it's a confluence of tendencies, right? Like with Josh Allen, like there's just very little market share to be had, very little goal line market share to be had. Um, and I'm kind of in the minority where I think Josh Allen, Kyler Murray, these guys, Cam Newton, they'll always score five to 10 touchdowns at the goal line. And it's only becoming easier, in my opinion, with some of the creative offenses. And Brian Dable is certainly one of those creative mm-hmm. offensive play callers. Uh, it's why I love someone like Stefan Diggs. Like we saw design screens at the goal line to Stefan Diggs. Uh, a guy who had half as many touchdowns as Devontae Adams and Tyreek last year. So I, I really like a lot of these bills. And I think some of the efficiency is going to come down in terms of air yards and things like that. But I think a lot of it actually could hurt the passing game or Josh Allen's, uh, you know, passing totals and stuff. I think this run game is pretty safe, not only because of the pieces and Josh Allen, but, you know, the spread out offense that Brian Dables in- implemented. It's uh, incredibly impressive. I, you know, Trav, I've continued to say he deserves a lot of credit for last season. And God forbid he went to Los Angeles for the Chargers job or something mm-hmm. like that. It just would have been awesome for everyone. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm ready to run this back with the Bills and uh, with some of the ambiguity with vaccines and stuff with Beasley and Davis. Like, I think I'm just scooping up so many shares of all the players on the Bills. And that even includes Zach Moss sometimes when he's fallen into that eighth, ninth, tenth round. Yeah. Totally but the injury, like he, he definitely had, he came in with durability concerns and it is yeah. frustrating that as good as I think he is in the passing game, he's seeding that work to, uh, to, uh, Devin Singletary. So yeah, those are both frustrating aspects and you're basically, I think you're only going to be happy in the weeks that you start him and he scores like Jared alluded to. Um, but, but you know, he, he's not a terrible bet to have a spike touchdown season, like Jared said, because of how good totally. this offense is. Yeah. Are you, are you guys worried about Matt Breda at all? You know, kind of making that a three, three hundred. Oh. Yeah, um, only my dreams, Jared. Yeah, <laughs> yeah, totally. Only we are big, big Matt fans. Me too. Um, but I, I don't necessarily see it. Um, who else did they have there last year that was potentially going to be a third TJ wheel? For those three? It was Yeldon, but yeah. he basically faded into dust. Um, and then was Jonathan Williams there? Maybe. Maybe. I, and that's my thing with, I'm not sure what's his name's going to be dressing every game day, unless he's really blowing up in camp because they're going to need someone contributing on special teams. I don't think uh breed doing that. So mm-hmm. I, I really don't know what to think of Brita, but I definitely think he should be on the radar. I think we should be talking more about these kind of players as well, who are the third running back in good offenses. Uh, mm-hmm. You know, the green Bay one keeps bugging me because everyone shits on my Aaron Jones take and my AJ Dillon take. I'm high on both those players. And I'm like, well, if you're not high on both them, where are these 450 touches going? Like, where is that pass catching work going to go? If Aaron Jones goes down, because I want that Kylan Hill or I want that Dexter Sexter Williams or whatever. Mm-hmm. Um, so yeah, thanks for bringing up Brita and yeah. Yeah, that getting us all hot and bothered there, Jared. Yeah. <laughs> Maybe the dream is not dead. Maybe the dream is not dead for our man, Matt Breida. <sighs> so speaking of dreams, I'm going to kind of put some of my biggest uh, guys to the test here tonight, Trav, since we have the most accurate yes. running back from last year on the show. I want to start with Miles Gaskin because, you know, Miami ranked 23rd in combined running back touches last season, 18th in yards from scrimmage, 14th in yards per touch, and they scored the 12th most PPR points at the running back position in 2020, which was a massive jump after ranking dead last in running back fantasy points the year before. What's changed? The Dolphins are a more competitive football team. And Miles Gaskin, I think, is a big reason because he's catching a lot of passes. The additions of Jalen Waddle and Will Fuller, they're going to help the passing game, no question. But the Dolphins, I think, will want to lean on their top 10 defense. They'll want to control the clock a little bit, which kind of lends to the run game. And uh, so does their high win total, that division they play in. Just everything screams run to me intuition-wise. And Trav, I've been really vocal all offseason about Miles Gaskin. So I just want to put this to the test. What is your stance on him? Like, is he a running back you're identifying, Jared, or does the absence of a goal line role, or possibly am I misreading the offense or overselling the situation with Miles Gaskin? 
I mean, it's definitely a backfield I want to see in preseason action, you know, kind of how they're deploying these guys. Um, I mean, last year they had an inclination to go with a clear lead back. I mean, it was Miles Gaskin when he was healthy last season. Even when he went down, you know, Ahmed kind of became that guy. You know, they, they, they wanted to feature one running back. You know, Gaskin, uh, 14th among running backs in carries per game last year, 8th in targets per game. Now, so he was he was just okay as a runner, you know, 4.1 yards per carry. He was 27th in PFF's elusive rating among 47 qualifying backs. He was awesome in the passing game, though. 87% catch rate, 9.5 yards per catch. He was third in yards per route run among 37 Ooh. qualifying running backs. So, you know, at, at minimum, I think he's he's this team's pass catching back, which which is big. Um, and, you know, even beyond that, they, they just did not add much competition this offseason. They you know signed Malcolm Brown to a cheap deal in free agency, a one year deal. Didn't draft anyone until the seventh round, you know, Jared Doak. So uh, that has to be considered a vote of confidence in Miles Gaskin. Now, I still have concerns about the O-line in Miami, yeah. um, but, but I'm with you. The passing game and offense in general should be better. So I'm, I'm kind of tentatively in. On Miles Gaskin, but I, I, I'm kind of waiting, you know, just just to maybe get some more clues in these preseason games. No, I, I just find myself drafting all three of those guys, to be honest, especially in best ball tournaments like Ahmed and Malcolm Brown even has been uh, on my team quite a bit. If we expect them to win nine or ten games, he's going to score quite a bit of touchdowns, I think. And uh, that was the one area Miles Gaskin definitely left uh, some work on the table last season. But yeah, he was still the running back 12 in points per game. At the running back position, he was a top 24 running back in seven of nine healthy games. And he's being drafted as the running back 24. So, you know, it's hard to not say this guy's being drafted at his floor. And there's not, I don't see a lot of reason for apprehension. I just think uh, if you're that worried, you could, you could add a Salvin Ackman at the end of your draft. And, uh, and you're just, you might miss out on touchdowns once in a while. The next guy, you talk about vote of confidence, man. You had a B-Beg Batoba on your show. And that guy's just a stud. Sorry, Trav. I just have to bring it up. Just, you know, one of the best fantasy <laughs> no, players, back to back fantasy guys, champion, bit, main event champions. Oh, it really is. Yeah. <laughs> but, you know, these are guys you want to emulate their process, no yeah. doubt about it. And he really has been pounding the table for Trey Sermon, which has really made me feel better about myself because I've really been pounding the table about Trey Sermon. Um, so, Jared, what, what side of the fence are you on that one? Do you think this is going to be a running back by committee in San Francisco? Are you ever trying to identify who that lead back might be, who emerges by the end of the season? How are you dealing with that backfield when all guys are going beyond the fifth round of a fantasy draft? Yeah, and there, there seem to be a lot of like sharp, high-stakes guys that I kind of pay attention to that that are high on Trey Sermon. So that, that's interesting. I, you know, it, it's easy to see the upside, but you know, this San Francisco running game. And, and really the Kyle Shanahan running game has just been so good for so long. So this is one of my favorite stats I found this offseason. There's been 33 running backs who have averaged 2.5 yards before contact or more over the past two seasons. So 33 total. Five of those guys were San Francisco 49ers running backs. So that, that just kind of tells you, you know, how friendly this scheme is for, for running backs. Now, it, it's I think it's likely going to be a committee you know, with Sermon plus Moster or with Sermon plus, you know, Gallman or, or Jeff Wilson when he comes back or Elijah Mitchell. Like, I, I think that's most likely. Even in that case, like, Sermon can pay off at his, you know, ADP again because this running game is so good. And by the way, this running game might be better once Trey Lance takes over because, again, we know rushing quarterbacks tend to, you know, open up running lanes for running backs. So that's another plus in, in favor here. There, There's a, a world, though, where Sermon just kind of takes over as, like, the, the clear lead back, maybe even like approaching like feature back status here. Kyle Shanahan has some history of that. Um, in his first 10 seasons in the NFL, you know, as a, as an OC or a head coach, he had five running backs finish top nine and half PPR points, you know, five of his first 10 seasons. So he, he has shown a willingness to, you know, ride a, a clear lead back when, when it kind of calls for that. So that, that could be sermon. So I think that's kind of the upside you're, you're getting with him. He could be a top 12 guy. Well, even we, we didn't have to look that far back with Carlos Hyde, you know, who a lot of people have a lot of problems with, but uh, who doesn't profile that dissimilar from uh, Trey Sermon. And I, I just really like him. Like we saw even Devontae Freeman be super efficient in 2016. He wasn't like the RB1 in terms of uh, in touches, that's for sure. But he was like RB6 that season uh, in fantasy. And I just, yeah, I think it's such a perfect marriage. Like the skill set translates with the making guys miss and breaking tackles and stuff. And like you mentioned with the RPOs, uh, a lot of people were saying we want he can go to any system because he played in Oklahoma, he played in Ohio State. It's like, no, we want him where he looked amazing at Ohio State in an outside zone scheme uh, in RPO fashion. And uh, 
that's exactly where he finds himself. And you throw in that strength of schedule, I think is a big thing, especially for big tournaments and things like that. Like getting Cincinnati, Atlanta, Tennessee, and Houston in fantasy championship week makes them just a, to die for kind of late season strength of schedule team to identify. Mm -hmm. Um, But I totally agree also with drafting Elijah Mitchell, with taking a Wayne Gallman and stashing Wilson on your IR. We can't forget once we kick into redraft mode that we do have IR spots on our team and that should uh, factor into our late season uh, or our late draft uh, analysis. But yeah, this, this running back room is just crazy. I mean, even last year in a down season, uh, the 49ers averaged over 30 touches per game from the running back position. And they scored the third most fantasy points per game over 30 PPR points per game. So I, uh, I think even if Raheem Mostert is involved on early downs, I just think he's a little bit older than people realize he's a little bit more fragile than people want to admit and uh, I just don't think there's as much allegiance to him than people think. Like he came into camp a little bit banged up and it just kind of turned me right off of him and turned me completely on to Trey Sermon as the guy to identify because you're drafting him in a position where you don't have to rely on starting him right away in your, in your fantasy league, in my opinion. Yep. Yeah. We love attacking that backfield. And I really like that yards before contact uh, stat there, Jared. Um, we love some good O-line play and that definitely alludes to it. And this next guy that I'm going to move to is actually top 10 in yards before contact per attempt of all running backs that had 150 carries. And that would be Melvin Gordon of the Denver Broncos. Of course, they brought in Javante Williams in the second round, who looks like he's going to be a stud fantasy running back as well. But I've been hearing reports that say Melvin Gordon has a firm grasp on the top role in this running back room and, you know, best running back in the camp in camp, still the number one. Um, But I personally think it's going to be inevitable that this season Javante will make his presence known. And I think it's likely sooner rather than later. So I'm curious if you think the same or do you think maybe we see um, the entire season? It's a bit of an ugly split or are they just going to be itching to give the young gun that majority role? I mean, Denver clearly loves Javante Williams. I mean, they made that trade up to get him, you know, early in the second round. I, I don't think Melvin Gordon's going away. He's just like that reliable running back that coaches like just like like he's just he's just solid. You know, and you said it. He was still super effective on the ground last season. Tenth uh, among forty-seven qualifiers in PFF elusive rating and PFF rushing grade. So I mean, he was still effective there. He was not. He was not good in the passing game last year, he was near the bottom of the league and you no know, yards per target yards per route run. So, you know, maybe that's an Avenue for Williams to, to get on the field right away. I think it's going to be a situation where Gordon starts out the season as the leader of a committee. And then, you know, Williams just sort of passes them up by mid season. The rookie's probably the, the lead back. And then maybe even by the end of the season, you know, you're getting 15, 18, 20 touches per game, uh, Javante Williams. So I think you're going to have to be patient. Um, mm-hmm. But I, I, I do think Williams is definitely the upside play in this backfield, especially, you know, when we get into the second half of the year and you're talking about fantasy playoffs. Mm-hmm. Yeah. And um, so right now, if we're looking at draft shark rankings, Javante is the running back 31, Melvin Gordon's the running back 34. So that reflects exactly what you said. And I'm looking at, um, I just quickly typed up fantasy football calculator for some ADP and Javante Williams is sitting at running back 29 right now, as far as ADP goes. So I think that's like, that is, perfect for him as somebody who if you wait on he could be one of those league winners we were talking a little bit about travis Etienne being in that type of role i think javante could be that as well i mean the draft price is definitely sneaking up you're seeing them go in like fifth rounds um from from the drafts that i've been in but i think the upside is definitely there and i think he will have a lock on that pass catching role even though melvin gordon has soaked up targets in previous stops previous seasons i think javante is just the guy who's got that on lock and i don't see you know any other options creeping up like royce freeman's not doing nothing um i uh really quick though want to talk about the quarterback situation though because do you think that either of those quarterbacks matter for um maybe like the pass catching or maybe how this offense operates or do you think it's still going to be a run game centric team, even with those pass catchers? I think it's going to be a run leaning team. Um, I, I think it's a pretty good defense they have there in Denver. I think the, the coaching staff just kind of kind of leans run if you look back at their history. Um, you know, qu- quarterback wise, I kind of want it to be Bridgewater. I just think he is yeah. like that, like point guard, ball distributor. He showed it in Carolina last year. Like if he has good weapons, you know, he he made Robbie Anderson and DJ Moore both you know top twenty four wide receivers. I think he can do that. You know, for Jared Judy, for Cortland Sutton, you know, for Noah Fant. Locke still has dyers. You know? Yeah. If he if the light finally clicks on for him, you know, he's the one that can, I think, really elevate the passing game. But, you know, if I'm a Judy 
drafter or a Sutton drafter. I kind of just want the safe bet. Bridgewater, just, you know, get, give me a guy who can get the ball into the hands of those, you know, wide receivers. I, I think Judy and Sutton could be, you know, like a top top five wide receiver duo by the end of the season. I think they're, I think they're that good. Mm-hmm. Definitely less chance of an implosion with Teddy Bridgewater at the helm. He also kept the offensive float in New Orleans previous to yep. his stop in Carolina. And I believe there, he had three top 25 wideouts in, uh, in Carolina, along with Mike Davis, just feasting in, in the running back ranks. So I like that as well. Ty, do you, who do you prefer? Do you prefer Teddy in there or do you like, uh, do you like the YOLO shot of Drew Locke? I'll tell you, I don't want either of them, and I don't like either of them, so let's prognosticate instead. <laughs> wow. I think I think it should be Teddy, right, because he limits yeah. turnovers so much more, and they had such a problem with turnovers last year. Um, and moving the ball, like you think of Javante Williams and Melvin Gordon, they cannot coexist, you know what I mean? I think it really would be Melvin Gordon early, and then he'd really have to tail off. Like, you worry that he could start hot, stay hot, actually. That would be my take. Um, making Javante Williams a really tough guy to hold for six, seven weeks, you know, and that's a that's why I kind of wasn't really on him in best ball as much. I think those are the kind of picks you have to avoid in a best ball draft um, who could give you low scores early on in the season. Mm-hmm. And you just think like Denver, they ranked third to last in red zone trips last year. They only had 45, according to Pro Football Reference. And when they did get to the red zone, they only scored barely half the time, 53.3% red zone touchdown rate, six worse than the NFL. So that's not even an area I expect Teddy to really improve upon with this team. Um, but it just goes back to like, I, I'm not sure they really added what I wanted them to add in this backfield. Like I was surprised they traded up in the draft to draft Javante Williams as much as I love baby Javante. Um, he just doesn't really add that super explosive element to a run game. And that's what I think they really lacked or lack still with Melvin Gordon. Uh, and yeah, I think they had like you know, on sharp football, they, they, I think they were tied for the worst success rate in the run game last year and uh, like 40 something percent. So they, they really struggled in all facets on offense and they, they just they have a lot of room to improve this offense. And I think the improvements will really stem from the other side of the ball. And them just frankly limiting turnover, simple as that. Like if they turn the ball over less and their defense plays to that top 10 level that they can, they also benefit from an extremely easy strength of schedule. So I think Denver is set up to be a nine or 10 win team. I'm just not sure how much that benefits the passing game. Uh, and I'm not sure how much that benefits the quarterback position either, but I definitely love Teddy uh, to be the quarterback in week one. And I also still love Jerry Judy Noah fans and even Cortland Sutton at their ADPs, but I'm kind of off the running backs to be honest. Can I bring up another third running back here? And uh, yeah. Mike Boone. Boone. Mike, oh, Mike Boone. How could I? How right. could I? Yeah, we Boone, love Boone you know, you know, George Payton, their new GM. You know, Good came point. from Minnesota. You know, brought brought Boone over there with him. And the coaching staff, I think this you know this summer has already mentioned a few times. They've kind of said you know Gordon Williams and Mike Boone when talking about the backfield. So you know, he he could he could be an annoyance where he just you know takes you know four or five totally. six every game. Totally. How dare I, by the way, mention Royce Freeman before I mentioned Mike freaking Boone in that backfield. We actually had an episode way back in the day that was entitled I've got a Booner when he uh, <laughs> when he looked like he was getting a late season shot in yeah. Minnesota. So definitely a name to keep an eye on in, like you said, Jared, a run leaning team. And I think just tied a touch on your point with Javante being hard to rely on early in the season, it might come down to how you drafted ahead of where he's going. Because if you went running back, running back to start, and then you invest in him as your running back three, you might be more willing to do that as opposed to say, if you, you know, take Christian McCaffrey in the first, and then you just lay off the position for a bit, might be a little tougher to rely on as the running back two on your team. So team build could come into play as well. And um, I, the only thing I'd the offer there is that Javante goes in a range of the drafts where I'm hammering wide receiver. You know what I mean? Like I think yeah. he's just so smack dab in that running back dead zone uh, where I'm adding my second or third wide receiver. And then on the other side of that coin, I'd rather just wait out for the Trey Sermon. You know what I mean? Who I'm still mm-hmm. getting a round or two later. So that would be my caveat, but I definitely agree and see the uh, upside with the Javante Williams. And a lot of it has to do with the strength of schedule and how good I expect the Broncos to be compared to last year. Mm-hmm. Right. Um, so we're going to get into a couple rapid fire ones here in just one second, gentlemen, as we ride out. But before we do that, I do want to give a big shout out to our friends at Monkey Knife Fight for supporting the show. They are, of course, a sponsor of ours, and we are super excited to go into another season with them. Obviously, they've got a ton of really good player prop games on there. Um, all off season, we've been going in on all the other sports, the baseball, the they got UFC on there, e- esports, hockey, all of that stuff. But we are finally 
ready to make some cash playing some football, uh, fantasy football, of course. Um, and you can do that with Monkey Knife Fight. It doesn't matter the skill level. You can know very minimal about fantasy football and football in general. And you can still have a little bit of fun with just some of that basic knowledge, throwing some money down and maybe winning some money back. So if you go to Monkey Knife Fight, Sign up with our promo code TNFF at your first deposit of up to $50, and they will instantly match that. So drop 50, get another 50. You got a cool 100 to play with, and you can, you know, double, triple your money. Whatever you want to go in on, you can go and have some fun on Monkey Night Fight. So big thank you to them for all of their support. Okay, guys. So rapid fire section. Ty, you're in on this one too, buddy. I'm going to throw out a couple of, I only have three names, but I got a couple of questions about them. Couple sentence answer. Just let me know what you think about these guys. Okay, Jared, we're going to start with you. The first guy on the Darnell docket is Leonard Fournette. Um, Draft Sharks has him as the highest ranked running back on the Buccaneers. His ceiling is at as a top blank running back, Jared, like top 20, top 24, not even in that. What do you think? I think top 18, top top 15. Nice. I mean, so the reason that I like him best is he has the upside. He has the potential to lead that backfield in carries and targets. Gio Bernard does not. He's not going to lead yeah. in carries. Ronald Jones is not going to lead the Bucks in targets. So if you're just looking upside in that backfield, and it's a backfield I want to get pieces of because that's going to be such a good offense, um, I think Fournette is the guy to take a shot on. Nice. Ty, what do you think? Leonard Fournette yeah. can be a top what running back? Yeah, I think he can be a top 24 running back easily. Uh, come fantasy football playoffs. How do you like that for an answer? So I think if there's a back that emerges come the end of the season and there's a really strong way, I like, I think I, I envision him maybe getting dropped early in the season in home leagues and then right. being kind of a guy that, or even maybe somebody that you identify as somebody you trade and buy low on during the season, because I could see him being the running back who holds up in the 17 game schedule and benefits from this very advantageous Buccaneers late season strength schedule. Yeah. Absolutely. I like both of them at ADP. I like I like him and Ronald Jones at ADP. I mean, it's yeah. I don't team. mind either. I don't mind either. Yeah, just just for that shot. Um, and we know Ronald Jones has been one to break off some big runs in the past. Um, Jared, so I think you kind of alluded to it there, but Geo probably would hurt Leonard Fournette the most, being that Ronald Jones doesn't profile to get much target share, right? Yeah, exactly. You know, when they signed Gio Bernard, I was like, eh, you know, this guy's kind of washed up. And man, it it sure sounds like you know he he's already kind of earning Brady's trust, and he he kind of might be that that James white for Brady. So that, that kind of sucks. Um, I'd rather see Fournette get that work, but um, you know, we'll, we'll, again, we'll see what happens over the next month. Yeah, totally. Geo seems kind of like the perfect running back to pair with Brady, you know, almost one of those guys like in the Patriots days where everybody said this would be the perfect Patriots, blah, 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 blah. Then that guy finally comes over to play with Brady late in his career. Like I feel like Geo's like one of those guys and Brady, Brady has just kind of brought that over to Tampa with him or whatever. So um, next guy's going to be in the Pacific Northwest, just south of us in Seattle. And that would be Rashad Penny, the former first round pick of the Seattle Seahawks, of course. Um, Jared, do you think he might be in line for more work than we expect um, coming in with obviously Chris Carson's injury history and the Seahawks just kind of propensity to use multiple backs throughout the season? I mean, Penny has to prove to us he can stay healthy first. I mean, I, I, I still don't trust him to do that. Um, and and I, I think Seattle loves Chris Carson. And Chris Carson, when he's healthy, man, he, he's awesome. I mean, talking fantasy, okay. he, he's a top 12 running back when he's on the field over the past three seasons. You know, he's probably going to miss two, three, four games, but you know, he, he's going to produce. So I, I, I think Penny is going to mix in, but to me, he, he's a Chris Carson hand, handcuff. He's, he's not going to be a, you know, a standalone fantasy option. All right, Ty, what's your thoughts on Penny? Well, I think, you know, going from Geo to the Seahawks is interesting because Geo was rumored to be having been recruited by Russell Wilson and people. So, you know, it worries me about Chris Carson. Uh, you know, he's had a career high in catches last year, and that was kind of uh, how he maintained his upside last season, uh, despite ceding a lot of work to Carlos Hyde, which surprised a lot of us uh, late in the season, especially. But I think, you know, if you want to take a shot on Rashad Penny, he's cheap enough where you can easily drop him. Uh, you can easily hold him if you start oh, uh, start 3-0 and or something. But yeah, I, I kind of agree that he is more of a more of a uh, a handcuff, but I do see a scenario where he could be a thorn in the side of Chris Carson when it comes to some design screens and stuff like that, especially if DJ Dallas or uh, Travis Homer can't really emerge and capture that role. I think Rashad Penny could while healthy, but no doubt guy has to stay healthy. Yeah. Mm -hmm. And we've kind of seen him pop 
in the receiving game, especially. Obviously, he came out with a lot of speed and some pass catching chops, almost like a like a lighter version of maybe Devin Singletary, where he profiles pretty good as a pass catcher. Looks like he could be the guy who could get the pass catching work. Just a low oh, yeah. val- vo- volume best. running back target share, right? That's not one we necessarily attach to for the targets. We do it for mainly the rushing volume. And that's why I love what you said about Chris Carson being a top 12 running back is because the guy only needs like 50 targets and he can be that running yeah. back one for you where some of these other guys need 70 plus in order to kind of pay off that draft price there. So Car- the Carson Seattle just needs back- to stay healthy too. Like yeah. Penny and Carson just need, you know, and Penny just seems to, or Carson just seems to not be there for fantasy championship. I think it just yeah. leaves a, a sour taste. He's one of those guys, but uh, there's definitely downside with Chris Carson, I think uh, going into 2021, but I think there's a lot of upside with the Seahawks offense overall. And I just don't want to overvalue that role in the Seahawks offense. Like I'm not chasing a pass catching running back in the Seattle offense by any means, but if that, you know, if there is a running back that is playing that defined role, it will hurt Chris Carson. Yeah, and he's going. Chris Carson is going as the running back seventeen right now. So I think that's still like yeah, starting to move something up, where yeah. you where you can still get a little bit of value on him. But I think once he starts, once you have to start spending like top fifteen, I think that's the allure of him is that you can get a top twelve running back at that like seventeen or later. Um, but uh, definitely a backfield that we like to keep an eye on for for running back production that we've seen historically. Um, the last one we're going to go to, and we're going to rapid fire it because I know we're just getting over an hour here, Jared, and I really appreciate you hanging out. I know it's East Coast time, a little bit late for you. So again, another thing that uh, that we thank you for, Sony Michelle in New England. We got you know a whole gang of running backs. I mentioned James White earlier. Ramondre Stevenson was brought in in the draft, but that hasn't looked very good so far. Um, of course, I love me some Damian Harris. Damian Harris as well is Sony cooked like do you think he makes this, this team and is a part of this roster or it, you know is he just done and is he not even going to make the team yeah so I know there there were reports in the spring that you know he was a potential cut candidate um, I don't know if you guys saw the article in the athletic today called Damian Harris Harris the 1a to Sony Michelle's 1b said, <laughs> said, said both guys were having you know their, their best camps mm-hmm. as pros um, so it's interesting um I Michelle's a guy I've been taking super late and you know, not even like underdog drafts. They only go 18 rounds, but if you get in some of these like FFPC best balls, I go like 25 rounds. I'll take Michelle in like, you know, the 23rd, 24th. Um, yeah. You know, even, even if he gets caught, like he's a former first round pick, he's still only about like 24 years old. Like he, he's probably going to get a shot somewhere. Mm-hmm. So, I mean, it's, it's crazy. I could see him getting cut from new England. I could see him, you know, still carrying 150 times for new England. So, it, you know, it's the Patriots backfield always a guessing game, but I, I uh, thought that report from the athletic today was definitely noteworthy. Yeah. I like diving into those guys kind of at the, you know, at the bottom of your roster with former pedigree, former production that people just forget about because of all that stuff. Like it's kind of burnt me before with like looking at like Todd Gurley, he had an okay year last year, but I was like, okay, he's going to get a big role in Atlanta, but you kind of like, that's where you can find some really cheap upside because we know there's been talent shown and we know that there's been real NFL production shown. Um, Lastly, on the Patriots backfield here, um, I mentioned it earlier with James White that the poten- potential for Mac Jones to come in as opposed to Cam makes me a little bit more intrigued on James White. Do you think Mac Jones is a good thing for these running backs, obviously with Cam vulturing, or do you think having the rookie there, we could still see kind of a bumpy road for who we might want to start? No, I think Mac Jones would be good for all the running backs there. He'd be good because he wouldn't be stealing goal line touches from, you know, Harris or Michelle. And I think that, you know, the, the running back targets would, would get a boost with Mac Jones in there. I mean, I, I can't get a read on that quarterback battle either. You know, it seems like they're, they're kind of playing to a draw. It seems like they, they both struggled for a lot of camp so far. Yeah. So I don't know. I, I guess my guess now would be cam opens the season as a starter, but you know, Mac Jones is in there by, you know, October at some point. I think it just makes the most sense, right? And I think it's probably just because Mac Jones is wearing number 50, so it just looks so damn weird like you got a linebacker out there playing quarterback. Ty, gun to your head, which running back do you want here in the Patriots' backfield? Yeah, I think maybe Sony Michelle or Romandre Stevenson are the guys I kind of want, but I, I think this might be the the year that I'm off of Patriots running backs, Trav. You know, I've always been kind of the guy who's on Patriots running backs, but, uh, you know, for better or for worse throughout the years, but... This year, I just, I don't see it. And I think it is going to be extremely defined roles. Like I think Harris might even still seed a lot of goal line work. Even if Cam Newton loses the job to Mac Jones, I'm not sure that we wouldn't see some Taysom Hill, Tom Foolery down at the goal line. I'm not sure 
Ramondre Stevenson. Like if they didn't draft that big giant banger to operate down around the goal, line, I'm not sure why they did. Uh, and over 70% of Harris's touches came on first down last year, the highest rate in the league by far. So, uh, and another thing about this offense, like the play volume is way down. Like some of the Patriots advantages that we've enjoyed in the past just don't seem to be there anymore. So I'm definitely reassessing going into this year, but I think Sony Michelle being so free is an interesting guy because like Jared said, worst case he gets cut and maybe moves on and lands somewhere like Miami would make a little bit of sense or something. Uh, but I also want to say that Sony Michelle averaged like over six and a half yards per touch last year over the nine games, last nine games. And uh, like he put up some big runs, which was the big knock on him over the last few years. Like it was the one thing that we weren't getting from him. Uh, so if all of a sudden he's got that explosive run upside to go along with some touchdown upside, I think there's still an avenue for someone like Sony Michelle to explode at his ADP because he's next to free. Mm-hmm. Yeah. That explosiveness is just kind of, that's what we liked about him coming out and that's what we wanted to see, but those knee injuries and that certainly sapped that for Sony and that Patriots offensive line, the way they scheme the run game, like there's going to be a high number of explode. Like I think Damien Harris had a 15% explosive run rate last year as well. So uh, we can expect some big runs in this offense, I think too. Yeah, definitely. And like, like Jared, it. I have no idea who the fuck is going to be the quarterback. <laughs> yeah, nor do I. All right, gentlemen. So that is a wrap for tonight's episode. Jared, cannot thank you enough for dishing on all of that running back goodness. That was a lot of really good information we packed into a one hour episode. So again, can't say thank you enough for joining us. Um, everybody needs to go find Jared if they don't already on Twitter at SmolaDS. Check out the content at DraftSharks. Just thanks again, man. That was awesome. I appreciate it, guys. That was really fun. Uh, you know, enjoy the the preseason action this weekend. Yeah, and, uh, hell yeah, yeah. And just for good. me, like uh, you know, somebody who grinds so hard, we really appreciate it. Like you getting all your rankings in order. The projections at Draft Sharks are as good as any out there. Uh, I think Draft Sharks is one of those secret weapons. I was telling you before the show, like going back to the OG OG days. And then even, you know, when I first got into fantasy, it's just been an invaluable resource when it comes to projections, when it comes to accuracy, when it comes to being an award-winning entity, you know what I mean? So uh, just can't thank you enough for coming on and uh, just keep it up, man. Keep up the accuracy. Appreciate that guys. And yeah, we've been around, but we, you know, we just launched the, the brand new revamped website. So, you know, we're, we're keeping up with the times there. We're looking good. I think it looks money. It looks just really, change, really good. Just don't change the intro to the pod. <laughs> my head is like a shark i just yeah if you change that i don't know what i do with myself Never. <laughs> awesome all right well yeah we really appreciate it thanks to fantasy points media group thank you to monkey knife fight thank you to trophy smack thank you to everybody who was in the comments everybody who listens and supports make sure you go hit that subscribe button on youtube we're on all your audio platforms and all of our work can be found at truenorthffb.com so until next week have a great weekend enjoy that preseason football Hey.